Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today uh, I have not one, but two guests for you. There's three of us on the call today and it's uh, National Adoption Week here in the UK. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. It'll go out on on uh, Wednesday, the 20th of October and, and thereafter. So welcome to the show, Emma and Paul. Thank you very much for making time for what must be a busy week for you guys. Thank you very much. Yes, has been busy. Has yours been busy, Emma? It has. It's, yeah, always quite busy here. Yeah. Okay, Coke. So could you introduce yourselves to the audience? Perhaps we'll start with you, Paul. Okay. Um, so my name is Paul Hewitt. I am an adoption social worker uh, with Nugent Adoption. Um, so I work from uh, all across the sort of spectrum of the, the process, really, from people coming in through the front door, going through assessments, uh, and then finding the, the right children for them um, and, and then uh, it gets really interesting the bit you're interested in is, is once those children are placed um, and living with those adopts in those early stages uh, supporting them through that time um, until they have an adoption order which is the point at which um, legally the children are the, the adopters uh, and beyond if, if they need it uh, but if it goes too much beyond that's quite often where it, it gets handed over to our adoption support team which is uh, Emma's one of. So Nugent Adoption in the northwest of uh, England, kind of halfway, is it halfway between Liverpool and, and Manchester? Is that the easiest way? Yeah, to... that's right. Our little office is in St. Helens, so sunny St. Helens. Um, but yeah, we, we cover a radius from, from there of around about 40 miles out. So most of Manchester, Liverpool, um, the northwest generally, um, and the Alaman as well. So yeah, St Helens in the in the UK is known it's known for its rugby league, right, which is a lower lower profile sport than 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 football. Uh, so I I use the Manche- you know Manchester uh, because people have heard of that and everybody's heard of Liverpool because of the Beatles. Uh, not many people know uh, because they, you know, how how would they? That I, I was actually adopted from Liverpool. So, uh, so Liverpool has a kind of special place in my heart. I'm not a particularly big Beatles fan, but nor am I a rugby league fan. But yeah, St Helens is famous for its rugby league. It is, and glass as well. The Pilkerton glass. glass. You've probably got it in your house if you're in the UK. So uh, yeah. So, uh, so Emma, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah. So I'm Emma Gardner, and I'm a post adoption social worker here at Nugent. And um, there's two of us on the team. So I get involved at the prep group stage. So I meet some of our adopters then, um, just so they get to know get to know us a little bit. Um, and then we also get involved in matching as well. So we'll go out and meet with the adopters again and introduce ourselves and, and just let them know what support's available to them throughout their adoption journey. Um, and then we're involved for as long as our adopters want us really to 18. Um, so some access us quite early on, um, quite intensively, and then people dip in and out and access adoption support kind of throughout their adoption journey and um, we also support children and young people as well so it might be pieces of direct work with young people and um, we do groups for our young people as well so we get all our young people together take them on fun days out and um, just so that you can get introduced to other adopted people locally adopted children and um, we do play and stay groups so we get the little ones in so parents can kind of meet up and and network and get to know other adopters um, we do a bit of support groups as well. So it's all about kind of getting our adopters to meet other adopters locally and access support through them as well as through us as post-adoption social workers. Yeah. So community is clearly a big part of what you do, yeah? 
yeah yeah absolutely so it's it might be that we do kind of one-to-one support with the doctors and do a little bit of training and advice and strategies things like that or kind of helping them to meet other adopters as well so they can kind of learn and and just chat to other adopters and gain advice from them as well yeah so how how do you see that community um that that community support and you as obviously part of that community how do you see that helping adoptees thrive really important for adopters to know other adopters as well and kind of share advice and tips and sometimes um we'd be meet through introduction stages and just share little bits of you know what went well when you had introductions with your young person and what was difficult and how best to navigate the way around that um other times later on kind of the teenage years can be tricky for all parents might be particularly adopted like adoptive parents might find that particularly tricky and sometimes just knowing another parent who's been there who's experienced it and got through the other end is really helpful so when they're in that really difficult stage and thinking oh gosh you know it's this is really really tricky are we ever going to get through this are things going to get better um to speak to another adopter who's been there and experienced it and said you know hang in there it, you know things will improve it's it's really helpful i think yeah it normalizes things as well doesn't it and uh, we, we as human beings we don't like to be other we we like to conform in in a way um, and adoption, it's not much spoken about, which is why things like Adoption Week is uh, National Adoption Week is really good. Um, but knowing adopters and being friends and having those networks makes it normal for you. It makes it normal for your children, um, which is is really, really big for them not feeling like they're the odd one out amongst all of their friends. Having those sort of networks is is really, really positive, which is why um, we, we put so much effort into uh, yeah. building those really. Yeah, so a key point, isn't it? Um, before we started recording, uh, I was learning uh, how much older than I am than I was <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so um, Paul, Paul was Paul was born in the year that I left school, so that's uh, a bit uh, a bit spooky. Um, as as you were saying, that community, uh, as as you were talking about community and meeting other adoptees, I remember. Uh, my a friend of mine had a 21st birthday party and, and his girlfriend at the time was uh, was adopted. And somehow, I don't know how that we got onto that conversation, but I think she was probably the first adoptee, fellow adoptee that I'd ever spoken to. And it was, uh, it, it was, I want to, the, the the word that comes to mind was exhilarating. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't. I, I know certainly I, I, our we, um, our parties. We have like we have like a summer party and a winter party. You know, we'll ignore COVID for a minute and pretend normality sort of going on. But certainly, I can remember about two years in to to being here. I've been here seven and a half years now. But a kid arrived at our summer party, and you heard him say to his his parents, "Say, are they?" Are all these children adopted? And they said to them, yeah. They're like, wow. And that was it. <laughs> this ran off. And it was almost like the thing of like, I'm not the odd one out. I'm normal. <laughs> and it was it was clearly exhilarating to them. And Emma, you've said about how um, some um, of the conversations kids have had in the cars uh, in the what, sessions you've done. Yeah, we take them just for days out, um, myself and my colleagues. So we've, we've been climbing, we've been pumpkin picking, all those sorts of activities. So it's not kind of based around you know, talking about the fact they're adopted or anything like that. It's just a fun day out for the kids. But you tend to find that when they're sat in the back of the car on the way back from an activity, they have little conversations. And 
it's interesting and obviously they know we're kind of listening in and joining in but they'll they'll talk about you know you've got another sibling that you don't live with and have you got a life storybook and just little bits that you can talk to the to the peers with that perhaps they haven't had that opportunity to talk to people about before it's really helpful and and they also build relationships with myself and my colleague as well so if they do need to come back for support later on they know us as well which is really nice um, we've got a young person at the moment who's in his teens and struggling a little bit and he's come to the parties and he's come to activities so now that I'm able to go in and offer a little bit of support he knows who I am so it makes it a lot easier to kind of engage him and for him to feel comfortable to talk to me as well so they work on a lot of different levels I think these activities. So I, I guess the underlying message to the to listeners if um if you're not part of a, if you're not part of a rich group, like a rich face-to-face group of this nature, then, and you're looking for guidance, then, then find one, you know, like find a few, talk to a few, get, get involved because um, it is, and I'm talking about rich face-to-face stuff. We talk about this a lot on the podcast rather than the, um, the kind of, uh, very superficial and sometimes very dark uh, places within uh, within uh, Facebook communities where people uh, hang out and uh, trauma dump uh, was the word I heard um, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I thought that that kind of that sums it up. Um, one of the things that I found um, similarly exhilarating, really, was doing my uh, doing you know, when I was a guest on uh, started guesting on podcasts. Uh, November, December last year, January into January this year, I, I was really taken aback by the curiosity of the adoptive foster parents who were interviewing me. And they really wanted to have an insight. I, they, they wanted to kind of, they wanted to find out what had gone on for me in the hope that it would be, and uh, in, in, hope, in the hope that it would help them inform what's going on inside their kids heads and more importantly their hearts that would help them but they they might not be able to express it because you know i i'm i'm 54 i've got a certain perspective on this um when when i was eight i had less perspective on what was going on on for me so one of the things that i um that's just popped into my head emma is is there anything that you learn from those that your involvement in these communities that you think i'm thinking the, the communities of uh of especially teen teen adoptees that that you've you you feel would be worth the listeners knowing assuming the listeners are adoptive parents things that they things that surprise you about what teen adoptees or child adoptees say is there anything that you could do to satiate this curiosity? Because people aren't listening to the podcast because they're curious. Adoptive parents are listening because they're curious. So anything that we can do to help them understand what's going on for their for, for, for kids in general is of interest to them. Yeah, I think I think they just really value honesty and having that kind of conversation with them and a bit of curiosity. So kind of teenagers that tend to be happy having those discussions with you so if you kind of been a little bit curious about you know what they're particularly struggling with and have those kind of open conversations with them they do tend to open up sometimes they don't understand why they might be quite impulsive so it's giving them a little bit of support to help them understand 
you know, why they might be particularly impulsive or sometimes they don't make great decisions. But I think that's teams as general sometimes, isn't it? And then obviously they've experienced, a lot of our children have experienced trauma as well. So that impacts on kind of their brain development as well. Um, so sometimes it's helping them to have an understanding of the impact of trauma on them as kind of individuals. Yeah. And how it might affect their behaviour and their development. And it's helping adopters to understand that as well. Um, you know, their early experiences, even if it's kind of in the womb, still have may have affected their development and their brain development, things like that. So it's giving them that understanding. Yeah. So they can be more empathetic as kind of parents, really. Yeah, yeah. I think empathy is a huge kind of important thing for, for adoptive parents that understanding that these children, sometimes the behaviours they display are extremely kind of frustrating. Um, you know, they might get into a stage where they feel like they're in blocked care. I, you know, I don't understand my child. I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, why they keep repeating those behaviours, but it's helping them to have an understanding and being empathetic that, you know, those very, very early experiences they had have impacted on them. And, and you know, we do need to parent them differently to help them to develop yeah. their brain to develop. So what's, what's blocked care and how does that um, manifest? Um, so blocked care is kind of when parents feel like they're at a point where they're stuck. Um, they struggle to empathise with, with their child. They struggle to understand their behaviour. Um, you know, why are they doing this? And I suppose they lose that empathy. It's a point where they kind of lose empathy for their child. Um, and it's we're also trying to help them to understand their child a little bit better. So that might be where the communities come in, talking to other adopters. Um, it might be some education. It might be accessing, you know, we we send them to lots of different other avenues as well for support. It might be that they need specialist support, therapeutic support, and um, to help them get out of this point of block care, really to help them to move on and understand their child better yeah. and parent them therapeutically. So I think the one thing that jumps out to me uh, as you started talking about that, I was going to go with another follow-up question, um, uh, but you answered it. So I just want to bring that up to the top. There are many different ways. If you're going through this, listeners, if you're going, if you're, uh, uh, if you're experiencing within your, uh, your 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 family this block care thing, there are many different ways to go uh, to to go about it, and it may be that you just haven't um, explored. Um, uh, explore those different angles. Maybe you should uh, get in, in uh, get in touch, talk to other, talk to other uh, adopters about what they've, you know, what what how they have come, become unstuck. You may um, talk to uh, somebody, you know, a professional about becoming unstuck. Can I just take it a step back? Um, do because one of the things that we're trying to do with the Thriving Adoptees podcast is uh, illuminate blind spots, right? So we're bringing uh, unseen stuff out of the out of the darkness where we can't see it up into the light, so we can kind of take a look at it, and and hopefully when we take a fresh look at it, then we're going to see a, a, way, a way to move move forward. Our uh, to what extent are parents aware of this, um, the, the blind spots around this um, uh, uh, blocked care? Are they aware of it? I mean, or, or, you know, to what extent are they available and to what extent do they not see it? Um, I think what we try to do is the reason we get involved very early on is so that they know that there's support available. 
um, at all times so they can pick up the phone and ring us whenever they want because the idea is that we'd prefer adopters to come to us when things start to get a little bit tricky so if they are having a few little wobbles or the child's struggling perhaps in education or there's issues around you know behaviors and things like that they can come to us earlier on so we can offer the support at that point or or kind of signpost them to training or it might be that we go to local authority and ask for kind of a specialist assessment or something like that so that we can kind of prevent them getting to that point of block care um, obviously that doesn't always happen and some adopters will try and kind of try really really hard to muddle through and then get to that point of block care and come to us um, it's it can be hard for people to access support for a range of reasons um, but we just encourage it to you know we encourage them to access it as early as possible really yeah the block care that you were saying about there as well when you're in block care is exactly that isn't it it's it's blocked so if you're emotionally blocked it's it's very difficult to step back reflect on where you're at and and sort of see what's going on and then go i need some help here i'm going to reach out so it's, it's really really difficult once um once someone's in that um situation which again is why we we encourage people to sort of try and get involved as, as early as possible because it, it means that it can help prevent you getting to that point but once you're there it is, it is really really tricky um and and you know it's we, we can't really underplay that uh, overplay that enough um it, it really it can be difficult once you reach that point so having as many support networks and support strategies around you so other adopters um your agency that you were assessed with um getting support to hopefully access the adoption support fund to get any therapeutic need you um have sort of have those met um accessing all of those as, as early as possible is the best thing but recognizing that when you're in the middle of it, it it's it's sometimes difficult to see it yourself and um having someone from outside point it out to you sometimes could be quite a powerful thing yeah the suit i was talking to a um a lady from the states yesterday and she said that a lot of people that come to her she's like a post-adoption support she was a post-adoption support um organization and she said the people that come to them are really are really desperate so there seems to be something I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word human nature because I don't think we're born like this but it seems to be something cultural that we um we tend to delay delay stuff what, delay, delay action we can I, I mean we don't like to I, fail do we we don't like to fail and we see it as failing even though it's not we do as human beings see it as failing and um, there was some research done by someone called Julie Selwyn um, called Beyond the Adoption Order I think that was the, the title of it a few years ago um, and whilst it's not a fun read <laughs> to be honest um it does look at a lot of this and actually uh, adoptive parents go through uh, an awful lot quite often before they're asking for um help and and yeah uh, one of the big things is they didn't want to be seen to fail or when they did ask for help they went through maybe child protective services because by that point all the adoption services had, had closed to them and they didn't get that empathetic response that they should have got they didn't get a supportive response they got a risk management response um but i think within us we like to be seen as independent we like to be seen as doing things and, and not asking for help but the, the clear message for for adoptive parents out there adoptees as well if you're struggling and need some support reach out to your agencies you know out go early reaching out for support and help to process really complex emotional issues is not failing it's 
appropriately responding to to a presenting issue um yeah yeah um the, uh, the parallel i can see there in my own life is uh, you know because i've been quite uh, i've been i've had a lot of coaches I've, I've done some therapy not a lot of therapy it didn't really didn't really work for me it wasn't I think because I I was so into I was so familiar with coaching and looking forward, I didn't want therapy to look back. Do you know what I mean? And, and also, yeah. there were some really weird people that I found in, in <laughs> north of England for therapists. You know that um, they 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 you talk about empathy. They didn't they 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 didn't want to share anything about themselves. Oh, it's not appropriate. And I'm thinking well, I'm not going to, you, you know, if you're a leader, you've got to go first. I, and this is, this isn't just, this isn't just me saying this just to share the story, but you know, as a parent, you're a leader and leaders go first. That's the way that it, 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 it works. Leaders go first. So you've got to go there first. You've got to be um, vulnerable first, for example, you've got to share first. You've got to talk about where you are Um and I didn't get that from 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 therapists, but uh, in in coaching, I remember a lot of events that I went to, you know, with coaches. They talked about the fact that the people at the top have a coach, so they try to bust that myth. But a, a lot of my mates were like, and they would sneer. They would, I'm, I'm sure that they would sneer. Um, I know one particular would would sneer about the fact that oh Simon's off to see another coach again you know about his business you know he can't only do it you know like and I'm like yeah okay that's your stuff mate but that that kind of peer peer pressure um, or you know you you don't do this that t- to me is an absolute nonsense giving us stuff what somebody else thinks um uh, you need to look out for what your family needs don't you and um you you said about um leaders leading from the front and i've, I've not finished it i was listening in the car on the way uh, to the office today um the, the the lady that you spoke to the other day i can't remember what day it was when i downloaded it um but like the family-based model and leaders leading and being able to sort of like set out what the path is but show vulnerability and you know in adoption it's it's about that the, the children that we're working with they have not had the start in life that they should have had you know they, they've that they have suffered or would have suffered significant harm if they'd remained in their birth family. That's had an impact on them. So we talk about empathy. We we talk about showing vulnerability. We, we talk about processing feelings. You need to show them as an adoptive parent, you need to show them that because you're the one they're going to model it from. And if you as the adoptive parent can't do it, why are you expecting it from your child? Um, yeah, leaders absolutely, well, good leaders lead from the front. We all know bad leaders that lead from the back and, and it doesn't work, does it? Uh, we can't do that with vulnerable children who become then vulnerable adults. They, they need that leadership. What's your take on this, Emma? And I, I suppose I'm thinking a lot of the therapeutic support that's offered is offered to the parents so that it's about training the parents up so that they can then support the young person. Um, so even when we go for kind of, um, you know, we, the funding's there for therapists to come into play, that they will often, rather than do the direct work with the young person, they will train up the adopter to be able to support the, the young person because they're supporting them, you know, 
all the time at home, aren't they? They're the ones that are going to have the impact. They're the ones that they've got the attachment to and they're building the attachment to. So they can have the biggest effect on the young person. Um, yeah, that's the attachment that we want to build. Um, and that's even, you know, sometimes they might do direct work with the child and the parent as well together because that helps them to feel a lot safer having the parent there. Um, and they're also kind of learning and developing as well. Yeah. Has this, has this changed? Uh, is that is that a is, is that a trend that's changing is the kind of less work less work with kids and more work with parents or what you know what what uh, are the trends yeah are? I think parents sometimes when they come they think that it's going to be a case of you know here's my child and they need therapeutic support so they're going to go off for an hour with a therapist and after six weeks or 12 weeks that that's going to really help um but quite often you know that parent needs to be part of the process or they need to be the one that's experiencing the therapeutic support so that they can then go on and support their child more therapeutically. Um, and it is, I think it is a shift in culture. It is a, it is a change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I guess people listening to the show won't, won't be doing that because they're doing it like, but like, um, I can't, I, 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 uh, the idea came to my head of like, you know, why would you want to, outsource your child's well-being i mean yeah it it, it it's absolutely nuts isn't it and i even the idea popped into my head like you know this is this is our stuff this is for us to do but if you're at that block, uh, sorry go on Emma. no i was gonna say it's, and it's empowering parents to believe that they can they can do they are the ones that can facilitate that change aren't they they are the ones that are going to be able to support their young people to develop yeah <laughs> enabling them to see that they can because again if you're getting to that block care point and you think i can't do this i just need my child fixed which is oversimplifying what a lot of parents will be thinking but if you're reaching that point and then someone says to you, you're the solution, you might feel like you haven't got anything left, but actually that's what the, the packages of support that are, are there are designed to do. It's to give you that something to have left to actually help that child. Um, so yeah. yeah, parents have so much in them and they have that basis of the love, the attachment, the relationship with the child. A therapist can't have that. You just can't have it. Um, so you've got that solid foundation to build from, um, which is why parents are just so much better placed to, to do that. I think for me, there's um, the, the, the two extremes of uh, the, the two extremes view of adoption is the kind of the, um, the unicorns and stars and rainbows and all that sort of malarkey. And then, and then there's this, broken, traumatised, trauma hellhole, for one of them. And for me, like, there's, there's a, the, the, the depth, um, well, I think we kind of like over, we can become trauma Obsessed. So one of my little lines I came up with a, a few weeks ago was um, trauma informed uh, uh, and hope obsessed. Yeah. Rather than, you know, and, and somebody said, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, or well, you know, trauma, what did she say? Trauma responsive, I think was the word that she came up with. 
trauma responsive, but like uh, hope obsessed. And for me, as a guy that's had a, a lot easier start in life, far easier start in life than than kid, most kids, right? So um, I've got some relinquishment trauma, if you want to, you know, like I have a really old primal wound, it's all happened, all that sort of stuff, right? But I haven't been through any of the trauma that a kid's been through in, in terms of neglect um, or uh, uh, abuse, right? But so I can't talk about that other than to say the the most influential person in 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 my life in understanding how you know how 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 our minds work and 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 the fact that we're not our minds and who we truly are that spirit underneath a ghost in the machine the life force who that truly truly are she was abused in every way possible by her by her dad she wanted to be adopted it never happened despite going to court and stuff like that but if she can get through that sort of abuse then anybody can get through anything because this this narrative of broken and wounded is to me wrong i think we're all broken it's and and it's all different levels isn't it it's um it's difficult. I find it really difficult in the adoption circles. And Emma, I'm sure you'll be able to comment on this to tell me to, that you have a different view or a similar view. But I find it really, really difficult that there is this narrative of adopted kids are broke for want of that's just summarizing it and, and making it a bit glib and a bit shorthand. But adopted kids are broken. That's not what I see. What I see is incredibly resilient children, actually, that have gone through an awful lot and just keep bouncing back even the ones that seem to be struggling they're actually bouncing back much higher than they ever should be really um but you know what adopted kids may have gone through in- incredible amounts of of trauma but trauma is not only for adopted children everybody goes through trauma and um, some people deal with it well some people don't deal with it well um and we just know a bit more and it's a bit more out there but we can't blame every problem that comes along for an adopted family's uh, life on 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 the trauma i think it get on on that early start i think it, it it's unfair to to do that there are sometimes things that are linked to that but it's it's not everything is is because of that and i think becoming obsessed on the trauma can can be a bit un at points unhelpful obviously it depends what the issue is and all that sort of stuff but I don't know from what you've seen Emma and you you support the higher end of things shall we say don't you on a day-to-day basis I suppose it's being aware isn't it as an adoptive parent it's being aware that those very early experiences that trauma that loss can impact on your child and will require you to parent your child differently than you would if it was a birth child you know you need to be more routine, more empathetic, and you need to kind of understand that they have had that experience, so they they do need to build that trust with you. They they may feel the world is unsafe because the people that initially looked after them weren't safe people. So their their initial outlook, their their kind of view of the world is that it, it might feel very unsafe for them. So you're kind of rebuilding that with them to help them to understand that actually they can trust you that the, you know there are people out there who can be safe and you know that does take a lot of time and that can take a lot of work but you know it, if you parent them therapeutically it, it can be really effective and like you say children are extremely resilient children can be yeah be extremely resilient and go on to do amazingly well you so see i um 
I think we're born to bounce back. I think that uh, we are, you know, uh, the, the metaphor I've heard on this is um, the three, three different things. So which one are we? So uh, the, the, the first idea is that the first metaphor is that we're like, um, uh, this is human beings, right? Uh, or, well, <laughs> who we are. So the, the, the spiritual being having the human experience, all the, all the trauma is in the, uh, and and uh, and the feelings, uh, all, all, all the all the anger, um, all the feelings of insecurity, all the thoughts that I'm not good enough, all that is part of the that that's the human experience, and that's where we're focused. Um, but the we who we are is that spiritual, this the, the spiritual being having the human experience and the spirit the essence of who we truly are is is the rubber ball and uh and the fragility is um like a a, a pottery container or a glass vase that the ball's in so the 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 uh the the glass vase the 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 vase or you know the vase falls off the uh, mantelpiece above the fire, and it and it shattered. And we look at we look at what's on the floor. and We think that's us. We're broken. But actually, if we um, move the bits of glass or pottery to the side we reveal the rubber ball that's bound to that, that's born to bounce back under that yeah i think we all want to we all want to thrive don't we at our very core and i think that's that rubber ball isn't it and, and there can be things around the outside that that get in the way of that but we shouldn't lose sight of of that hope that we can get back to that point of, of thriving. And, you know, like I say, I mean, some people have more fragility around them. Some people have less, um, whether it's adoption or, or not, there's adverse childhood experiences. Everybody has those. Um, if you have a more than a certain amount, your life predictors are impacted in a certain way and all this sort of stuff. Um, but we all want to thrive, don't we? Um, and the, the trauma that comes from, adoption and modern adoption is one type of fragility it's not the only type of fragility and and you know hopefully we can just have a bit more empathy and kindness when we look around the world that actually we don't know what anybody's been through um you've been very honest and open simon sort of saying what your journey's been um through the podcast over over several episodes um but you, you know i might have had all sorts of things happen to me or i could have had a perfect unicorn life as you described it um same for emma and, and everybody out there everyone's had different lives and it's a relatively modern thinking isn't it that we should have a perfect life i think we're the first generation or two that think that before that everyone accepted life was really difficult and we just need to get on with it sometimes um that wasn't always the most healthy response but actually life is not easy um and there is going to be barriers to be in that bouncy ball. Uh, so trying to break them apart and, and peel them out of the way is, you know, that, that's not a bad thing. That's a sign of strength, not weakness. Let's, let's try and do that. Phone people like Emma, get the support that you need. Um, 
whether you're an adopter or an adoptee, you know, get what you need to help you bounce high. Yeah. So what's the difference that makes the difference then? Depends on the person, I would suggest. What do you think, Emma? Everybody the same? Everyone different? I think every, everybody is different, aren't they? I just think, it, like you say, it's, it's accessing that support. It's been able to recognise, isn't it, that things are a little bit tricky. Um, and, you know, if I can access support early, it, it does really help and makes the difference before you get to that point where you, you're in crisis, where you're in that block care, where you are really struggling. It's, it's yeah, finding the strength, isn't it, to, to know the support's available to you, but also being able to kind of pick up that phone and access it. Yeah. Do you think sometimes, you. Emma, just like, um, I was chatting to one of our other colleagues and she sort of said, sometimes just keeping expectations in check, you know, accepting you're not going to be a perfect parent, they're not going to be a perfect child. Is that something you see quite often, Emma? Absolutely. I think adopters sometimes have waited an awful long time to become parents and they thought about it for, for years and imagined what it's going to be like. And then suddenly you've you've got a child who may be struggling a little bit or, you know, it is keeping your expectations kind of in check. Sometimes you might not meet those developmental milestones at the right time, but that's okay. And it's kind of having realistic expectations of yourself. Sometimes it's not always going to be fun every day and it's not always going to be enjoyable and that's okay too. Um, and I think that's why it's useful to kind of speak to, to other adopters and kind of share experiences because, you know, they can say, you know, yeah, it's okay to feel that sometimes it's not going so well or that you haven't done exactly what you thought you would do in that situation. We get it wrong as parents. We all get it wrong sometimes. And, and you know, that's part of learning and developing. So it's, it's just having those expectations that we're not always going to get it right. And, you know, having those conversations with children sometimes as well. Yeah, you know, I didn't respond to that as well as I should have done. And I'm sorry about that, but we'll learn together and kind of move forward. That's really important. Sorry, sorry, I'm just jumping in at any point here, aren't I? But you say about saying sorry, and there's a guy called Dan Hughes, isn't there, in adoption circles, who everyone thinks is like the bee's knees. He's like the the top dog. All the therapeutic people just just love him. Um, and so one big part of his sort of ethos is repair, which is a fancy word for saying sorry, basically. Maybe it's sort of trying to say, oh, is this what's happening? No, oh, I'm really sorry about that. Help me understand it. But also modeling sorry. And, you know, to sort of share certainly part of my my childhood, I can remember one incident where uh, one of my parents, I won't say which, just in case there's a small chance one of them listened to this, but, um, you know, one of my parents got cross with uh, myself and my brother more cross than they should have done for the for the situation you know no particular boundaries were crossed or anything like that but actually it still sticks out to me I can't remember what I did can't remember anything else but I can remember them the next day sitting us down and saying I'm so sorry and it actually that made the biggest impact because it repaired and it showed that humility it showed that vulnerability um, and you know that's a biological parent and adoptive parents have all the vulnerabilities, all the um, challenges that non-adoptive parents have. So, you know, being able to do that, being able to repair with your child and model that for them is, is just critical, in my opinion. Yeah. And having that discussion, you know, it, this didn't go so well. What could we do differently next time to help you when you're feeling that way? What, what can we do to help you to feel better in that situation? You know, I know that was really hard for you and just kind of having that curious approach, you know, that that made you feel kind of whatever way, what could we do differently next time? Yeah. yeah. I was talking about this yesterday, you know, um, it had a bigger 
impact on me. This was from a, a you know, a, you know, talking about interpersonal relationships. It wasn't a parenting thing, but it was a, a work thing, right? So I uh, worked in a team. I teamed four or five people working, working with me, working for me, and I um, and I I heard this thing about you know feedback versus feed forward, and what you were talking about there, Emma, was feed forward, right? So feedback is about what you know what went wrong in the past feed forward is what we want to do differently in the future you can actually forget about you can forget about the the, the, the looking back stuff because it, it it's gone you just you also you like say what we want rather than what we don't want we have all these things and like um i was talking on a podcast uh, recording last night about this um i sometimes catch myself doing that i, I, I catch and sometimes i miss it completely and then I look back and I think, oh, yeah, I missed it again. But that, you know, that's my that's part of my blind spot. You know, say what you say, what you want. Say, uh, ask the question about what we're going to do differently next time. Um, and I, I like the I like the wee bit of what you said, Emma. It wasn't about me or you. It was about us. And I, we, we want this, you know, cohesive family unit and, and us um, and and it is about that we isn't it and often children don't understand why they've responded in a certain way they're not and um, you know they haven't got that understanding as to why they got so angry or the why they got so upset and it's helping them to recognize that feeling of, you know it might be a feeling in the pit of the stomach that they're getting really angry or really upset and you know what can we do when you feel that way to help you feel yeah better safer more secure because sometimes they will just lash out because they're feeling angry or upset but it's helping to avoid that that kind of incident and help them to feel safer and more secure because that's often the root of it that they, they feel unsafe at that particular moment yeah it's that pressure release valve isn't it so before doing adoption work I did child protection work and sadly essentially quite often the people that you're working with are the families that the, the cyclical abuse, you know, one year after the one generation after generation intergenerational, there's this harmful parenting going on. So you're dealing with grown up versions of, of children that, that struggle to regulate, regulate themselves sometimes. And we just always used to have this thing uh, where if we're having a meeting where we knew there's going to be contentious stuff talked about. And frankly, we were child protection social workers. That was most meetings. But if you said at the beginning of a meeting, look, if something gets a bit difficult and you're feeling like you're really struggling, Know, just take a step outside take five minutes come back and what you would tend to find happen is that by forward planning that positive thing you would find that they might storm out a little bit but they would leave the room and then they come back five minutes later rather than flipping the table over putting their hand through the window then storming out and never coming back and that forward planning um, with with children is just like a, a lived experience thing of what happens if we don't do that with with grown ups. But um, like Emma says, if you're forward planning and giving everybody sort of almost like that pressure release valve to know what they can do when things are really difficult, it, it doesn't blow up. It's it's one tool of many to to reduce that, isn't it, Emma? that preemptive parenting isn't it thinking ahead what what might be difficult for the you know for my child and how can I help them with that leading from the front yeah. as Simon said yeah yeah um one of the models that I used to use 
with the kids in in schools and these were all kids there it was nothing to do with adoption is I, I would take them through a um you know why why do we why do we you know what what is it we want what do we need to do to to, to get what we want and and then I'd go on with why why do we do what we do so we do what we do because of the way that we feel. So our feelings drive our doings. And for me, that was a, a key point of en empowerment because otherwise we don't understand why we're doing it. But as 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 a total as a total thing, not as in like when we're when we're lost in the detail, you know, why do the, why do the people, why do they do why why is that person also, it's, it's it's easy to see it in a different uh, from a third part part of you because um, I, as I say a lot, it's hard to see the picture when we're in the frame. So we can illustrate that we can uh, we can ask our child about that. So the the thing that I often did it with was about you know why why a bully picked on us. So why do you think that they did that? And then and then explore that and you get to the point where the child sees for themselves right that the other that the anger the anger and the insecurity and or the sadness or the sorrowness or you know that that kid did what he or she did because of the way that he or she was thinking so it's got nothing to do with you yeah, the, the car, we take things personally. Human beings, we take things personally. We think it's about us when usually it's more about the other person. So if the child can see that that, 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 that bully was sad or mad or angry and that's why he or she did what she did, then they don't take it personal anymore and they're no longer a victim. Ah right, well I can see I can see that it was down to them. So if we help them see that for you know when they are you know at at effect when when they are being victimized, then they can see they can and then you might draw the draw that out to so that they can see it within themselves. Yeah, and we can explain that from our own perspective as well. So you know like. And 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 you can we can do it with things like uh, you know like I honked the horn I honked the horn somebody cut me up I was angry so I honked the horn or I shook my fist at the guy you know the other person so we kind of like we go with some vulnerability um, we go with some vulnerability we go with a third party and we help our child understand that how people feel determines what they do. All of us. That seems to be human nature. I think it's, it's sometimes giving them the language, isn't it, to help them understand why they might have done what they've done. Um, we use a lot of um, going back to Dan Hughes and um, Sarah Nash, who writes a lot of books and does a lot of training around it. And they use a lot of curiosity. So it's kind of a, a wonder if you did that because of this, that, or the other. And it might be, for example, you know, a child who hoards food. I wonder if you hoard food because when you were very little, 
there wasn't much food around. So you feel like you need to kind of hoard food. So there's something there for you. But then giving them that reassurance afterwards, it's okay, actually, you don't have to hoard food here because there will always be enough food. We will make sure as your parents that there will always be enough food for you here. And it's kind of giving them that language for why they might do particular things yeah. as well. I think it's the language and I think it's deeper and it's the, you know, you talked about the curiosity and it's the question. I talk about this a lot because I've done all the work that I've done with, with kids is you ask them a question. The question draws the answer out of the child. And, and I talk about the fact that, you know, a question ends with a question mark and the question, that question looks like a hook and it, and it, and it draws the answer nicely out of the child so that they see it for themselves. They have an insight. But we, you know, and that's what like the, the uh, Latin education, the, the, the word education comes from Latin educare, which is to draw out of something. But what we think as like in the, as in the, in the Western world, our culture, grow, we think that education is shoving information into people, into kids' head. Kids head. Yeah. It's, it, it, they don't own it. They, they have no ownership of the, of the information. And in, in exactly the same way as we try and, um, shove people's, you know, shove people in, uh, information into people's head that we that we work with, and but the far the better way to do is, you know, oh yeah, I made them think it was their idea. Well, you know, by asking them questions. Well, you didn't make them think it was their idea. You helped them think it was your idea. You used curiosity. You asked the question rather than just a, 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 you know a statement like if we're shouting at somebody it ends with exclamation mark or three doesn't it you know make a statement we're trying to shove the stuff into people's head but being curious draws the answer out and and so i think when when we're looking at these strategies that we hear um we have to go a little bit deeper into kind of if we understand the reason for the strategy the fact it draws curiosity, draws the question, asking a question, draws the answer, then we're more likely to actually implement that strategy. We're going we're to say, oh, that's a good idea. We live in this world, you know, like I get the, the, the times on a Saturday and a Sunday, and it's full of really great information, but very little, uh, you know, like um, lifestyle tips and stuff. And, you, and, and it's acres of the stuff, but none of it, do you, you know, like, why do we still need to be told to um, eat less and, 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 and move more to lose weight? But, the, you know, there's this, this kind of self-help industry that's just... I think it's what you're saying. If, if we don't internalise that, so if children don't internalise, if it doesn't become our message, it just becomes someone else's message that you're trying to hit me with and you're hitting me around the head with it. Whereas if we invest in something, if we hook onto something and sort of say, you know, this is this is something that I want. I'm invested in this outcome. Therefore, I'm invested in these behaviors or these changes. I will therefore, as adults, maybe eat less, do more exercise. Or as children, I, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to lash out and hit people at school. I want to respond in this way. And if we invest in that, then all of a sudden we unlock the potential to actually make the changes. And, and that's where the work that uh, Emma does and other therapeutic social workers up and down the country do with people is so so key in terms of giving um, adoptive parents those, those skill sets to be able to do that with their children. Because if it's just a, a parent saying, you need to do this or your life's basically going to end up like this, well, 
it's just accusatory. No one likes that. Whereas if you sort of get them alongside and say, so what do you think is going to happen? Do you want that to happen? No. Okay, what would you like to happen? This. How do we get there? Well, I need to do this, this, and this, and this. So what can we do? Let's find those solutions. Shall we go through that? Yes. The door is open to making those changes. It's not always going to be easy, but you've opened the door to something that was closed beforehand. Because um, absolutely, it needs to be internal. It needs to not just be bashed around the head by someone else. Yeah, they've got to believe in it, haven't they? They've got to believe it's going to be successful, haven't they? Mm. Well, to give I, them purpose. I, I, I would, I would go as far as to say, the the most important thing that we all need to see for ourselves, it needs to be internalised. I think that's a great word, uh, Paul. Is that we're enough? And um, and I'd go a bit further than that. I say. We need to see our our um, perfection. You know that we're perfect with our imperfections. That we are that we are whole. That we are one. That we are enough. That and, and that's what. I think I would. I think I would change it ever so slightly. I think I would say that we're worthy. I wouldn't say we're perfect. So we're perfect. I would say then we don't need to make those changes. But we're worthy of that outcome that we've internalized and we want. You know, there's nothing that should stop us getting there, but recognizing that actually we're maybe, well, I'm certainly not, I'm not where I want to be in life. Um, and if you speak to my wife, I'm definitely not where I, I should be in terms of my responses sometimes and things like that. And I don't think any of us are, but I'm inherently worthy of getting to that point. There's nothing that says that I shouldn't be able to. Um, and now it's just a, a case of facilitating that. Um, that would be the small change that I would I would make, but that could be a um, I don't know upbringing issue, you know, or things like that, which is why I hold a slightly different view. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want your kids to think? I I About want them to feel that they can achieve what they want to achieve. I okay. want them to realise though that they need they need to do it because it doesn't need- matter what. Do they need to, this is a completely loaded question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do they need to achieve more for you to love them more? Uh, love? No, absolutely not. Okay. So, uh, you know, this is... They're worthy of that love regardless. We, we, we all think that, you know, we need to do more to be more. What, what, what if we're enough? Mm-hmm. Exactly as we... Uh, and we go forth. Mm. But that's where we separate that, that spiritual and that physical or the, you know, we are inherently worthy. The, the adopted children, my children, all children are inherently worthy of love. They are enough to be loved. And, you know, what? it doesn't matter what their life is as long as they're contributing and, um, you know, all the sort of base values that we in society that sort of thing it doesn't matter if they're doctors it doesn't matter if they're lawyers or if they're you know join the military or do whatever they want to do none of that really matters because they are they're inherently worthy aren't they and uh, and that doesn't change but in terms of our behaviors and how we're managing how we're coping with life there might be things that need to change uh, and those are skills we've we've got to learn um and, and like we say, adopted children have more barriers to that from their history, so might need a little bit of help along that, that journey. But like you said, in terms of love, 
absolutely worthy, 100%. And that doesn't change. That's not dependent on whether they make those changes. They still deserve that love. Doesn't mean they don't want to change. What do you think, Emma? You're staying silent, staying out of this, <laughs> dragging you I in. suppose it's, it's what we want for our children, isn't it? Our, our own children, our adopted children, to feel that unconditional love and that they can make mistakes and they can get it wrong sometimes, but that doesn't affect that unconditional love that they get from their parents. That, you know, because our adopted children may make more mistakes along the way. They may test that. They may, a lot of them will test whether, you know, if they do make a mistake or, they do get it wrong or they do push the parent away will will they still be there or or will they go away and will they reject them like you know they have experienced loss before so you know if, if I am not be, behaving as well as I should be will my parent you know leave me will I lose them and we want them to feel secure in that relationship don't we that they have got that unconditional love and regardless of what they say or what they do that will always be there for them said far better than me Emma <laughs> I was uh, I was in the northwest uh, coming up two years ago, um, uh, and I was at uh, a weekend a weekend event, I, and and I had this, I, I had one of those uh, spine chillingly fantastic uh, moments of relief. And it was to do with being enough. I, for somebody that has strived a lot, like me, I'm talking about me, right? Strived a lot. Um, knowing I am enough exactly as I am now was very powerful, very powerful for me. And I've had moments like that i've done a lot of the, the work that i've done in this area has been mainly with people who are not adopted and none of them think they're enough either most of the time most of the people on this planet don't think that they're enough i'm sure there's an interesting study around that somewhere isn't there find out why uh why we don't think we're enough well, we all have different. It's like it's like an ice cream with a million flavors. Um, so not a, not a good enough mum, not a good enough dad, not a good enough adoption social worker, not a good enough adoptee, not a, a good enough son, not a good enough businessman, not a good enough businesswoman, not not a good enough gender neutral business person don't put me in a box you know like we, we've all got we've all got a different flavor of it but the most important thing that every person in the world wants to feel like is that they are enough end mm. of for me that that's like we we, we uh, with there's three three fears in life death public speaking and not being good enough it's that connection, isn't it? Not being good enough, it's do we have that connection to others which validates us we feel good enough for those people that we care about, or certainly one aspect of it, maybe not the entire picture. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 
certainly a part of it, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, uh, the, the fourth one then, on, on that basis of what you said, fear of being alone. Yeah. We're not good enough, and therefore the tribe is going to lose us, and we're going to be eaten by the um, by the uh, brontosaurus or whatever. You know, like it's like we, we, we're alone, we're isolated. This is why, like, naughty steps and sent to your room isn't a great idea because we feel disconnected. Yeah. It's interesting. Our prep groups say don't do that, don't they? We sort of tell everybody to forget everything they've seen on Super Nanny, and, uh, a different style of um, parenting. But this is this is again why the strategies don't strategies don't work unless it, well they don't work unless you understand. Let me put it a different way. It's more important to know what's at the root of the strategy than it is to actually implement the strategy. Yeah, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing, don't you? Believe that it's it's going to be successful and it's going to work. Yeah. Otherwise, if you don't buy into it, then it isn't going to be successful, is it? Fantastic. Um, are there any, just cautious, conscious of time, are there any points you'd like to close with, guys? I've spoken enough. Emma, you're more of an expert than me in this area. <laughs> I don't think so. Paul, you're enough, Pat. You're enough, pal. You're enough. <laughs> you're enough for us, Paul. You're enough. I've got to have a trauma informed hug. <laughs> Emma, Emma you're enough it. as well. You know, this has been out of your comfort zone. You know, it has, yeah. Dead. You've made me publicly speak, which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as people say that, oh, are you a speaker? Well, yeah, I've been speaking for quite a while, you know. <laughs> it's not it's not um, so uh, I, I'm not going to ask you on, on the recording how it's been, Emma. There you see. I, oh, I'm, I'm scared of Emma saying, you know, not being middle class. <laughs> you know, because we're far more uh, roundabout with than our American cousins. Um, I, I uh, met this guy, and, and uh, long story short, uh, he, he said, we were talking about golf, because I was with a buddy and, uh, who's a golfer, I'm not, and an American guy. And they, they, the, my mate said to this guy, I said, you, you, you're good at golf, then you play a bit. And um, the American guy said, yeah, yeah I'm actually. But we're like Brits, we're like, what? <laughs> you can't be that immodest, mate. You can't, no. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't say that, did we? We didn't say. Uh, we just went off and sneered about it behind his back and told the story. <laughs> it's a cultural difference. I'm talking about cultural difference. And, it's all right. He might find out. You've just put it on a podcast that you'll send out across yeah. the whole world, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> and he'll tell you. He'll tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, uh, and thank you, listeners, too. So uh, there'll be links to to, to uh, Nugent Adoption in the show notes so go out and check out what they're doing connect with them on on, on social and um thanks for listening and thanks for for joining us for a great uh, discussion thanks a lot thank you very much thank you thank you